infinity are we created, to corruption we must return. But in the blink of an eye, between those infinities of darkness, there lies the instant of awareness. Our minds expand outwards, ready to touch the face of the cosmos. But my name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and quantum event, and you are listening to Cinema Limbo. presentation is I Heart Huckabees, the 2004 ensemble comedy co-written and directed by David O. Russell, and my guest is Ed Bloomer, scientist and art lover. You join us in my living room, sometime in the recent past. Ed, hello. Hello. Now, I asked you to watch this movie in particular, because I thought there might be an interesting contrast between the film being very philosophical and perhaps a little bit airy-fairy in its content, and you being a professional science man. Professional science man, yes. That's a, yeah, good instinct, maybe. So, what were your thoughts in general? In general, I did not like it. I did not like it. Um, I've seen it once before, so I, and I had sort of fond memories, but then I realised halfway through watching it Oh, it was because I watched it with some mates and it was after, this was at university and we were, we'd come back from the pub and we'd sort of fallen asleep watching it (laughs) while eating kebabs. So uh, I think my fond memories were not really of the film at all. I'd love to know what it was that made you think it was a good choice of post-pub viewing. Well, okay, so uh, sort of irrelevant background is essentially that the, the video store beside my, my friend's flat was this bonkers thing it wasn't it wasn't a chain like blockbuster or anything like that I think it was independent as far as I can tell um, but it was nuts it just had all sorts of videos and you got some like this that were sort of new releases or uh, fairly new releases at the time um, but it definitely carried it skewed very heavily towards things like Frankenfish that was like oh trash well, I would disagree. I think Frank is Frank Fish is a brilliant uh, film, and uh, yeah, that's worth, worthy of review. But um, yeah, the, the, like things that you just you had no idea that these people had made them, and, including you know things like oh, here's a dozen Robert Redford films that just who knows that they exist. <laughs> we really think or like um, who's the guy in Magnum PI? Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck, right? Okay, so like about twenty films. With Tom Selleck in it, quickly down under. Um, I, I, I can't even remember any of them. Things Run with, away without his mustache. Lots of films oh, without his mustache. Uh, in and Out, which is a really great film, even without his mustache. All right, is that is that the good? Uh, the, he, well, he's not a lead in that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. Wrong. Okay. Um, it, um, it's tangent. It's Kevin Klein plays a small town English teacher who's. Former pupil has been Oscar nominated. He oh, wins, and in those Oscar yeah, he, sorry, he yeah. outs his teacher. Yeah. And Tom Selleck plays a um, scandal-hungry newspaper reporter who right. turns out to himself to be gay. Okay, I think I've seen about the first ten minutes of that. Okay. That is not film. These films were not in that sort of category. All right, because in and out was actually really good. <laughs> okay, these films were not. But basically, we saw this thing, and uh, well, thinking of the DVD cover and things like that, I. I guess that's not an explanation for why we picked it up. We picked it up for some reason. 
Um, because there's a pretty lady in it. On the front cover. Well, what it also has on the front cover is by far the most original comedy of the year. Um, from Premier Magazine says that. And I think I think we'd seen um, Three Kings. Yeah. Very different film, of course, but um, oh. yeah, I don't know. Something made us pick it up. We watched it. Fell asleep eating kebabs. The kebabs were the best part of that experience, I think. I see. Um, well, I saw it in the cinema, and I was very impressed by it. It was one of my favourite films of the year. Okay. And revisiting it again. I haven't seen it for a while, but uh, I really enjoyed it watching it again. And I do think that it's somewhat unfairly maligned. Okay. All right. <laughs> it, is, it is quite a, an esoteric story. It's essentially a philosophical comedy about a young activist working for an environmental group who is attempting to work with a large corporation called Huckabees, which is equivalent to Walmart, Yes. to preserve a open space, a natural space in Los Angeles. But he's finding various odd occurrences and coincidences affecting his life. So he enlists two existential detectives to investigate the case of his reality. Mm. And that eventually spins off and encompasses a dozen other characters um, whom he comes into contact with and whom the detectives come into contact with as um, they unravel the the mystery of human existence. That makes it sound great. Because I would, watch, I would watch that film. That that makes it sound good. But it is not. It is not good. What was it about it that you principally disliked? The the, the thing that stuck out to you most is it was really slow. Really? Yeah. I, I had to watch it in two sittings because I watched the first hour and a bit and I was so bored I, I had to do something else for a bit. Oh. I don't remember that when I watched it the first time. This is when I rewatched it. Yeah, just in, in preparation. So yeah, so the just the pacing, the, actually not so much the pacing, but things like the editing and the, the, the direction itself. Really, really slow bits. Now, I mean, you don't want to go to the other extreme where you have something like Transformers, which is just bang, bang, bang. Which is you just, know, an, just stuff happening. Stuff happens all the time and no, no shot lasts more than about three seconds. That's the other extreme. But this, I just thought, it didn't sort of zip or there was, there was no energy to it, I don't think. Which I think is a problem when you have got someone like... Um, I mean, the main character is quite... He's quite no, volatile. He's, he's volatile, but it's sort of... The, the, there are periods of sort of passive bits, I guess, or... That's not a very good point. What I'm trying... I, I, there are moments where he tries to... Um, one, of the, one of the tricks that detectives teach him is to sort of qu- quietly go inside yourself. And I, it, it looks like my understanding of mindfulness, of just taking time out just to quietly centre okay. yourself... I thought you were about to say it looked like my understanding of PowerPoint with all the, the various <laughs> sort of clip art, not clip art, but sort of strangely cut out images. Yes. I had to look again to, to see when this was made. because it, 2004. 2004, no, but, but I had to look because I thought, oh, this must be mid-90s. It just... I, I know the point is not to have computer graphics or anything like that, but, but I just thought... Do you thought the graphics were a bit... not good... Okay, so here's the thing. I think 
if if you make a sort of philosophical comedy or a sort of uh, comedy which is not slapstick, it's not. Um, it's more intellectual. Uh, I mean, well, okay, it's got it's potential. It's, 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 it's a bad idea. Okay, it's, it's a bad, bad idea. Right. Okay, but if you compare it to something like this, is probably going to come up time and time again, right? But if you compare it to something like uh, Wes Anderson, all right, right. So he's got such a clear look to all his films, and the way that the characters uh, speak is. Uh, Often wildly unrealistic, but there's a consistency of tone and, and there's there's a real crafting of the, mm. the film. Whereas I thought this sort of sometimes ha- looked as if it was going to do something a bit like that, but it didn't have anything like the kind of the, it just even like the production design, the the look, the costuming, it, all that sort of thing. It just made it seem really, really just flat. I thought, um, and so things like the dream sequence, I just thought, well. There is a specific look they're going for, for there, I guess. But it's, it's not an interesting one, and it's not a sort of live-action cutouts. Yeah, but really, yeah, really boring. Like a really boring look to the oh. film. I thought. Well, I disagree. Okay, all right. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, there, there are um, these sort of computer-animated sequences where this is the, one of the detectives is played by Dustin Hoffman, yeah. and he. He teaches Albert, the main character, about the idea of infinite interconnectedness. Yeah. And that on a molecular level, you can't tell where you end and another person starts. And that symbolises cubes of each other starting to move across the screen and mingle together. And it's done in what looks like quite a lo-fi way. Yeah. But it's a nice illustration of that. Yeah. And the way that, the t- that these characters are thinking. And then someone distracts them. And they say, "Oh!" And the, all the cubes just drop to the bottom of the screen, like yeah, like um, connect four pieces. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. I, I mean, lo-fi can work. I mean, something like um, "Be Kind Rewind." Yes. Well, that's the whole. Well, that's, that's the whole yeah, that's point. Like, that's the of the film is that it's all homemade. Um, but here, but I here. don't know. I just I really just did not connect with me at all. I just thought that looks like a rubbish. Yeah, a rubbish thing. I think I sort of began to think I might be able to do that myself. Give me After Effects and some other things. I might be able to do that myself. I think. Well, I'm, I'm sure you could. I'm, I'm not aware of your animation skills, <laughs> but limited. The um, the fact that it's done in a not not lo-fi because you know it is done with digital effects and all that kind of thing, but it's done with a. Um, a reluctance to overcomplicate it, I think. I think that's part of the um, the charm of it, in that it's these are uh, some of the ideas are quite hard to get your head around. I think, and that's part part of the plot of the movie is that the characters are really struggling to comprehend how to incorporate these ideas into their lives. Yeah, okay. Um, this idea, these ideas of interconnectedness, and then later on, where they they start to doubt that that actually works they go to the other extreme there's another philosophical detective who's advocating nihilism and the manure of human drama dragging you back into reality and that kind of thing and they sort of struggle to reconcile the two which essentially forms the backbone of the movie and this sounds like it's really weird and abstract but it is there is also a lot of there's a a decent plot in there about there's a plot there's a plot about trying to protect this this patch of um, green space, yeah, sure. And the uh, the corporate 
drone kept trying to displace Albert and take, over, take, take the thing over for himself. Yeah, yeah. And his girlfriend, who is a model who starts to bec- become self aware, sounds a bit patronising, but she's starting to sort of think beyond the confines of herself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess deep down everybody, they're all unhappy in some sort of sense and they have to change. I mean, I, I mean, of course, right? Okay, that's that, that's how you that's how you write a story. Right? Yes, you, you characters have to change and yes. do something. But but that is kind of really front and centre with each of the characters. There is something inside them that has to fundamentally change. Develop. They have to yes. escape or develop or something. One of the other main characters is Farmer. Yeah, who becomes uh, Albert's other? Who he's, he um, they sort of help each other through that this whole process. And he's played by Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. And given that you mentioned Transformers before, yeah. Um, would you say that Mark Wahlberg was more entertaining in this than in some of his other more crap films? Um, assuming that you've seen that other, other <laughs> you've you seen lots of any of his films. this one? Like I think with I mean with direction, he is quite good at being a like playing a particular type. Hmm. He's quite good at this, I think. He's not amazing, but he's no. I actually, he, I think he's fine. He's entertaining. You, could, you would never buy him uh, like in a period drama, or uh, <laughs> well, uh, if it was like about the Boston Docks or something. like that. I don't that. even think so. I don't even think so. Oh really? I think literally he would only exist in. So the, you couldn't cast him as say a cowboy. No, in the old no, days. No, oh, okay. I really, I really think he's one of those people that just he has a type. He has a type. He has a type. But I think he's fine in this. He's quite. Um, yeah, I think he, I think he's pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, David Russell has worked with him. He's worked with him before, and he's worked with him since. Yeah, the fighter. Okay. Yeah. So maybe Mark Wahlberg is his muse in some sense. It's an odd. Yes. Uh, sort of. Um, well, his, setup. his muse. Well, David o. Russell. I mean, his career has been a bit all sort of up and down, and all over the place. Because before this, he'd made um, Spanking the Monkey. Which he made with a National Endowment of the Arts grant, and followed that up with um, Flirting with Disaster and Three Kings, which is a big departure because it's a big sort of action type movie, but with um, political commentary. Yes, yeah. I like Three Kings. I mean, I definitely like Three mm-hmm. Kings. But yeah, from that to to this, I Heart Huckabees, and then on to The Fighter, where there was a six-year gap between this and The Fighter, which is the next film. And in the meantime, he made a another film called Nailed which wasn't finished because oh. the producers ran out of money and it was um, it starred Jessica Biel and Jake Gyllenhaal is that and the one that just came fi- out and it's finally now been released about nine years later but isn't it rubbish and apparently it's terrible because it's been they've, sort of, they've got the, the footage that was completed and they've sort of made some new footage without any of the actors so it's sort of oddly sort of second unit stuff yeah, and just sort of glued it all together, and it's called Accidental Love. The director is credited as Stephen Green, which isn't a real person, and apparently it's a complete mess. It's just a load. Well, of you, I mean, that's. I suppose that's not much of a reflection on. No, but it's, the it's, director, it's really. I mean, yeah, because I mean, David O. Russell did have a reputation for getting in fistfights with his actors. Oh right, <laughs> he, did, he did on the set of Three Kings. He got into a fistfight with George Clooney. All right, and there is a clip on YouTube of set footage from Mark Huckabee's of him getting into a screaming match with Lily Tomlin, who plays no. the other who plays the other detective. Yes, they were married. Is that right? 
he was not married to Lily Tomlin no no uh, no sorry actually. there's a good reason why not no there's another no sorry he was married to another actress who is oh sorry forget that forget that I don't know who that is now she's credited or she's, there's a special thanks in the in the, in the credits to her oh, right. it's not no you're right I actually have seen that that, that uh, screaming match uh, and Dustin Hoffman is trying to calm them both down as I imagined he would because he's like uh, he's like oil on troubled waters <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is good uh, I mean uh, oh right that's not exactly uh, Dustin Hoffman's good in everything he's no really, okay he I was going to say that's, that's not exactly an um, amazing statement that I just seen, made there but he he clearly can take a script and just go, wow, let's just do this. Well, apparently he was... He summoned um, Russell and his co-writer Jeff Boehner to his house and they read the script through over two days to talk it through as they went. And he was very keen and very enthusiastic. And he has, he has a really lovely performance. It's this very sort of friendly, easy... Yeah, I think as an actor, that's a, I think it's a good yeah, part. He's, he's it's not such a great film, personally, but... Yeah, I can see that why that's an attractive and he's a, role he's, for an actor. He's a great mental character, I think. Okay. Because he's trying to sort of guide Albert through this idea of you know, expanding your expanding your consciousness, which is it's a bit of a cliche way of saying it, but it's, it is that of realising that the, you're part of a much larger thing. Right. Okay. It goes through this idea yeah, of yeah, the, yeah, the, okay. universe, the universe as a, as a blanket and everything is part of Oh, yeah, if you had a teacher, you'd add one. I mean, there's a reason they put him in The Simpsons as Lisa's teacher. I want Dustin Hoffman telling me how to do things. Did you know that his character is based on a real person? No, I did not know. He's based on a former teacher of David O. Russell's, who right. was effectively taught about all this kind of philosophy, and his, uh, his name is Robert Thurman. And at the time the film was made, and the commentary was recorded, which is my starting point for research, he was professor of religion at Columbia University in New York. Right, okay. He may also be better known as Uma Thurman's father. Right, okay. Probably better known. Probably, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably better known as that. Well, not, not, to, not like him or his friends, I'm sure. No, but he is um, a sort of a, a philosophical thinker who is sort of instrumental in, in spreading these sorts of ideas. Okay, I, I didn't know that, but I did think that it was a very indulgent film. I don't think it has a huge amount to say. Really? Yeah, to be honest. It's, I, I think, you know, if you want to do philosophy, go and read a philosophy book. You're going to get more out of it than... than actually, again, that's not an amazing statement. I think that's self-evident. Of course you're going to get yes, more out of it. Yes, because that's going to be more distilled. Yes. What is this? I just thought... I don't know. I found it a real drag, I've got to admit. I, I, I pulled myself through it. I found it, certainly when I first saw it and watching it again, I found it to be quite profound. And I found there, were a lot, there to be a lot that was worth thinking about. And even some of the, the tricks and sort of mindfulness techniques I've actually done myself. Okay. Like the idea of just, just closing your eyes and imagining yourself sitting in a tree with someone you admire and then giving you helpful advice. And what do I say to you when, when I'm in the street with you? Oh, you don't say anything. You're just standing at the bottom waving your fist. All oh, right. Well, it's Stanley Kubrick in the tree. Right, okay. Fair enough. No, I mean, okay, that's, I mean, that's, that's good, I guess. That's a good technique, right? Um, I just, yeah, I, I mean, there were one or two bits. I like the bit where they sort of play back Jude Law's retelling of the kind of funny story. Yes. And that sort of, I thought that part was good where he really, I mean, that's again, Jude Law's a good actor. Yeah. So he really sells that idea of. 
coming to that realization and sort of mm. that kind of breaks them. And there were, so there were there were moments like that. I thought that were good, but for every one of those, there was you know the dinner with the family, which just degenerates into a kind of shouting match, and then they run away. And it's, <laughs> and so again, so it's all these things of really unrealistic ways of speaking, but. The, the world that they inhabit is not this kind of heightened reality particularly so again like compared to something like Wes Anderson or or Gondry or even um, Spike Jones so one of the things I thought okay maybe it's a bit like being John Malkovich in that, because being John Malkovich is quite although it's fantastical in lots of ways the world that they live in that, that lots of office spaces and things yes, that's very plain grounded. which sort of accentuates the bonkersness of going inside John Malkovich's mind mm. but this I thought did not have that extra element of it of the fantastical or the, 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 the fantastical elements were not nicely realised and so it all felt just a bit flat well the, there isn't really anything that's fantastical in the movie no but just just the okay uh, I suppose what I mean is more things the, like the, 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 the fact that the people are talking in very erudite terms about philosophy Almost all the time. Yes, okay, but 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 what I mean is more things like uh, the Huckabee's adverts. Yes, looked the same as the film looked. They looked as if they were filmed with the same cameras as the film was. So there's no. I guess that's a consistent reality, but it's but it's boring, I think. Right. And you know the 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 sort of uh, the mindfulness aspect of being in the tree things. It just all felt a little bit. I mean, it's even things like the, the colour palette and things like that. It was just... Like, it was fine. It was, it, you know... There weren't deliberate choices in the colour palette. Um, the colour red only appears at moments of great significance. OK. Um, like the red space hopper. Right, OK, OK. But uh, I, I do like Jude Law's character. I find him very interesting. He's the corporate drone. Yes. He's trying to sort of muscle Albert out of the, um, the Open Spaces Coalition. I like the way that he uses his story, the story that he retells all the way through, um, because he's someone who is deliberately projecting an image of success. Yeah. And he has the story that he tells, which is about how he was uh, catering for a public appearance by Shania Twain, who is in some way connected to Huckabee's company. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, she said that she was allergic to chicken salad sandwiches and they gave her some sandwiches and said, don't worry, they're not chicken salads. And she ate them and it turns out that they were. And he has the story, it's always a way of getting one over on people because it makes him look strong and powerful. Sure. But also being sort of the friendly matey guy. Yeah. He loves banter. He's that kind of person. Yeah. He's awful. But later in the film, the detectives play back the fact that he tells this story over and over and over and over and never with any changes. And it makes him sick, it makes him physically sick yeah. that he realises that it's just an empty projection of himself. I think that is good, and I, I quite liked him in it. I liked him being like a, quite a horrible person. Although not deep down inside. Deep down inside he realises how ridiculous this is. No, I mean, he's really just massively insecure. Yes. And it's a, he's very empathetic because of that, because you can, as, as you're supposed to, as the character, see, you see yourself in them. Okay. Because the, the realisation that the characters have towards the end with Albert and Brad, they see, themse- they see each other in themselves. And that's when they sort of come to that realisation about, oh yeah, the, oh yeah the, we're all part of the same thing. We've all had the same 
parts of ourselves sure. connecting. So, yeah, well, I mean, it ties together. I'm not seeing it. I mean, but you just saying you, you just didn't just, engage with it. I think, yeah, I think, like the bad poetry, Albert's bad poetry, wasn't bad enough, or like it wasn't funny enough that that was a, like this. The first thing that made me think of, I will demonstrate by trying to remember some of it and how it goes. When I look at you, look, you look, look, it's Rick Mail. It's Rick Mail and the Young Ones. It's his poetry. I mean, it's not his poetry, but it's, it's it that, really yeah. made me think it's, yeah, it's the, it's the, yeah, it's the young, poetry, the young yeah. activist and crap poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that, so that's a clear type, but I just, like, I didn't think any of those were funny. And when he turned up, like, when, when he, when, when he was saying, oh, I'm going to write it. I'm going to read out a poem or something. <laughs> trying to bring a meeting to order with this poem that I've written. Yes, yes. Okay, so daft, but not funny enough to... I just didn't want to hear that poetry. Even the couple of lines that he gets out before somebody shuts him down. But that's, that's, that's part of his character, I think, that there's more to him than we're initially led to believe. Because one element of the story is that he was at a public photo archive. Yeah. Uh, and he claims that he was looking for pictures for Bob Dylan. Pictures of Bob Dylan, but in fact he was planting pictures of himself and his own poetry. Yes, because he is secretly envious of the kind of respect and general adoration that Brad has. Okay, no, I'm not, I'm not denying it. This is, that's correct, but it, but just but in terms of what's on film, when you're watching the film. What I'm saying is, I, I didn't want to experience the, the literally the five seconds of him reading out some lines of poetry because they weren't funny, bad, or or what clever, if, bad. They were just they just dragged everything down. So again, comparison to Wes Anderson um, in the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, the the poetry <laughs> that is read out. And, oh yeah, and, and the point is that it's you know tediously long and, and the, but it it's crazily constructed like amazingly tedious poetry so there's a skill there in, in producing something that's so awful uh, and and this just doesn't have it it's just it's just rubbish I thought I'm really maybe I was just in a really bad mood but the I more I think the more yeah. I think about it I just think this failed on every level like every level was just like two stars out of five like there were so it's a two out of five film overall I think right Okay, okay, what score would you Forty percent of pass mark. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I don't want to be hard. I don't want to say more than five. But, but you know, just every little bit of it, you think, well, you would do that in a better way, or that editing is a bit rubbish. Okay, or, well, um, give me give me an example of something. Right, the start. Something that you Albert running through the running through the uh, the office. Oh yes, uh, yeah, well, the, the, the opening, the opening to, title. Yeah, so. the opening title. Not not well edited enough to disguise the fact that they're running around the same three or four corridors. Right. Okay. Not absurd enough to be funny, or to show that you're in some heightened reality. Just a boring thing of him running through. Also, with the really the worst sort of running, but can't really move very quickly because you don't have very much space to move the camera. That sort of you're pumping your arms, but you're just you're sitting right. still, you're staying, staying in the same place, or or you've only actually moved a bit. You know, two paces in ten seconds, and so, yeah, right from the from the get go, you think that's just poor, right? 
<laughs> okay, well, actually, actually based on a real, not not a real location, but based on a real location. That there was this sort of warren of corridors leading to one office. Yeah, but and again, that's a, that's a recognisable thing for anybody that's worked in a big, you know, office or gone to visit, a, you know, a world university or a, a big corporation or anything. So it's it absolutely from the get go is something that everybody will recognise, and then just pulled off really badly. I thought. Did you like the bit at, right at the end of that where there's a, someone just turning a corner in front, and it seems to be Albert? So he's almost in the process of lapping himself. Yes. Again, did that annoy you again? It didn't annoy me. I just, I mean, that doesn't come, that doesn't come to anything because it's because because it's not that much of an odd film. If you would, if you were able to easily identify that it was Albert, then you would know that you were in for a. I mean, it would be a different film, of course, but you you would know that you were in for some strange goings on. This was going to be a sort of fantastical world. But it was just like a little thing. Well, it's it's not it's not supposed to be literal. That's the thing. No, 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 that, that, okay. that it's, it's more that they thought, oh, that would be a little fun little detail to put in. Oh, it's a little detail. It's not fun. Well, it's it's, <laughs> it's it's illustrative of the thinking behind the movie that he's sort of separated from himself in a way, and that yeah, I mean, it probably I mean they probably could have done without that. <laughs> God, yeah. God, you're wearing me down. Yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convince you by the end that this is just, like, must try harder. Yeah, this is going to be your last appearance on this podcast. Right, OK. <laughs> no, but we can choose a good film next time. Let's do Three Kings, that's good. No. All right. I want to do Three Kings. Because you, you, want, you want to do things that you think are underrated. Yeah, and I, think people, I, I think people have exactly the, uh, the, the regard right. for Three Kings that's appropriate, which right. is that okay. it's fine. OK. All right. We're going to do... Biggles Adventures in Time no that's a brilliant film that's not underrated nobody doesn't like that I just want to make you suffer now (laughs) but that's that's a brilliant film isn't it yeah it's been a long time since I saw it but yeah okay but that's not underrated everybody knows that's an amazing film it's not very well known though oh right okay alright let's do that then it's underrated can we do that now can we do that for my recollections of it how many notes it's fine we'll just remember it what can we remember about it Let's talk about I Heart Huckabees. Okay, all right. <laughs> Rather than filling in the time with something else. <laughs> this is Jonah Hill's first movie. Yeah. And he was well, I mean, okay. <laughs> yes, you agree. He's in it. He is in it. it. I believe it was his first movie. Uh, he was introduced to the production by Dustin Hoffman's children. Okay. He'd seen him do a, a set. And um, he has a little brief role in the, um, the Christian family. Yep. That uh, Albert and Tommy the fireman go and have dinner with. Where it starts, I like, I do like that scene because it starts very, um, sounds very civil, very friendly, and they're all having dinner and they invite these two strangers for dinner. And say, oh, thanks very much. But their discussion becomes increasingly frag- um, fractious. What's the name of the father? The actor. Yeah, Richard Jenkins. That's it. He's great. He's just, he's a brilliant actor. He's, he's just great in, he's just good in things he's just like a solid he should just be in pretty much everything he is great but um, the scene is uh, it's illustrative of a certain mindset which is people who are generous but then refuse to give up certain things that they regard as inalienable yeah because they've taken in this um, Somalian refugee and they regard him as one of the family and they're very good very generous with him but 
at the suggestion that they maybe shouldn't drive so much or get a more fuel efficient car they hit the roof yeah it's true or yeah holding on to the material things in a way yeah and particularly um, as David O'Russell says in the commentary it's you know you can't you can't separate Americans from their cars yeah I don't really have too many problems with that scene apart from apart from the way that I, I don't know the way that people talk to each other at night like what happens in a meadow at dusk yeah Actually, no, I mean, actually, that, that bit was a little, that was quite funny. I'm wearing you down now. No, I quite like that. I just thought... I'm not leaving this room until one of us is dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, I, mean, I mean, it's not a terrible film. It's just... It's not good enough. <laughs> it's not good enough. <laughs> oh, there's that line. Well, yeah, the, 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 the discussion degenerates until they get to Godwin's Law. Yes, and ends um, up with the mother of the family shouting at Albert, "You're the Hitler," which I thought was funny. It's all right because yeah. <laughs> it's just like they get everyone gets more and more irate, and it's not even just the Christian family; everyone is with Marky Mark. Yeah, I think the problem is because you don't know the family beforehand. They're not another. No, they're introduced just for that sequence. Yeah, um, but they're archetypes. So you kind of that they are uh, sort of an open, generous Christian family, and that's fine. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> isn't it? Also, all they're Christian. There's nothing wrong with that. I didn't suggest it was. Well, I feel like I should say that because I don't want to say that as if um, that's a negative, right? Okay. Because their, their faith motivates them to do this kind, of generous thing of, of giving a home to the, to a refugee who has nothing. So that's great, but because of the way the conversation goes they become more and more angry and more and more vehement and they start just throw, accusing people of being Hitler yes yes you, you get the feeling that, that even allowing this refugee in doesn't really cost them anything that they can't easily afford to give up like it literally costs them money it doesn't cost them anything more than that whereas the idea that they could drive around that's a cost that they could bear it's a material comfort yeah perhaps well, well it's no, it would be a fundamental shift that they they couldn't change their life around it. Whereas they have enough money that they could, because the money would be a material comfort, right? Uh, they have enough of that that they would give it away, and are willing to give it away to help raise this this, this refugee. Well, you say raise? He is, he is an adult. He is an adult. Okay, he's supposed to be eighteen in it. And yeah, I mean, he and he has a job. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they're still providing them with a with a home, so there is there is a material cost to that. But it's yeah. not a fundamental shift that say uh, giving up your car, giving up your car would be, or not uh, the the guy's an engineer or a is it an engineer? Um, I does believe electric, so. Uh, or he does electric development. I think he's an engineer. Or just development of of. Uh, Business, business, yeah. He's a business person. He's a business. No, no, but he's, he's but he, like he sets up lighting or something. He's doing. Yes, I, th- I think it's it's lighting. He's rigging lighting, or he's he's. So he's he's opposed to the idea of not. But when when Albert get, sort of says they're trying to prevent urban sprawl, mm. he's very much opposed to that because that would be a fundamental shift. Not he and, and his argument is that well that that provides me the money to. Feed people to take in, you know, uh, people and all that sort of stuff. But it's more, it's more. That's his purpose. Yes, and so it's a, it would be a fundamental shift to not continue to expand all the time. That's that's what he's part of. This idea of expanding. 
and in particular because Tommy is he, he's he's almost a kind of single issue character because he's very very worried about petroleum yes and he brings that subject up at every opportunity yes and given that he's a fireman that's a problem so he rides around on a bike yes which again is so ridiculous that it can only work in a fantastical environment imagine that happened in real life right yes you'd be on leave or off to the doctors within a minute like that wouldn't they wouldn't put up with that for a shift or like another day or whatever that would be immediately you you can't this is not the environment's job you're away I mean he even punches out his one of his colleagues at one point when his wife is leaving him right right and but then he's back like he's still there he's the still next there later on yeah you know and he's uh, and you know the suggestion he's, he's traumatised by 9-11 or as they refer to it I think they just refer to it as the whole September thing yeah uh, but again and, and I'm not saying that you can't have a character like that but you have to have a character like that that exists within this fantastical world not other things are fairly normal and he j- he's a fireman that is not riding in the fire truck and is driving around in a bike but it does have its advantages because um, I mean, towards the end of the movie yeah, that's, 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 that's constructed that's, that's a deliberately constructed advantage that he can get through the traffic uh, faster but when he gets there he hasn't got a fire hose or anything because he's no. lost on his bike no and then he just kisses Naomi Watts and, he, he and you could rescue people he rescues Naomi Watts from no, he, no he doesn't the other fireman take him out they pass out because of smoke inhalation well, in the original script, in the original scene, they both decided to commit suicide. Well, that's a bit grim. Well, that's why they cut it, because it didn't really work. And it also doesn't make sense for their... Because they're both sort of gripped by existential despair. Okay. The characters in this movie don't behave in the way characters do in other movies, because they're, the sort of underlying philosophy is all at the forefront, so they're always talking in these philosophical terms. Yeah, sure. So you need to make allowances for that, I think. No, that okay. That's that's fair. Okay, I mean, it's a good job they cut it. And they did something else. Yeah, I think they did realise that. Uh, it just didn't work. And also, it but was, is that the first time they the meet? Mood. Sorry, is that the first time they meet? No, they do meet earlier on. Brad, infil- well, he didn't infiltrate, but he goes to the detectives themselves and asks them to investigate his life because he's trying to muscle Albert in that area as well. And he brings his girlfriend along, and that's Naomi Watts' character, who is the yes, of course, the 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 spokesmodel for Huckabees and Tommy meets her there briefly yes during Moncala hour right and the weird thing is last weekend I went to the Rich Mix uh, Culture Centre in Shoreditch and they were having Moncala hour and so I've never seen that anywhere I've never seen anyone play Moncala in real life okay I know nothing about this I've it's, it. it's vaguely like backgammon but that's that. Is Mancalahour a, a thing? Well, is well, that a cultural? Well, I imagine maybe it is. So they're all sitting at because back out hour. Well, why not? No, there's no reason why not. I just. Uh... I mean, the the idea of it, I think, is rather nice. It's a way of having all the um, detectives' clients socialising and talking about weighty issues while also having cocktails. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, go to the uh, bridge or something. Bridges for ponces. No, it's not. It's it not. Is. It's for your grand. It's for your grand. My grand didn't play bridge. I bet she did. Secretly. Secret, I doubt it. Secret bridge. I doubt it. But uh, you play with a partner and it's very... Co- I mean, I can't play it, but it's like a properly complicated 
because you, you were playing with your partner for some bits and against them for other bits so you'd have to and I think well for that reason I think it wouldn't have been suited for that because you need to be able to play a game where you can think about it a bit but most of your brain is, is occupied with conducting the conversation yeah. do you think this happened in the in the in the, in the writer's room what they were like, can we play yeah <laughs> like, can we I play? imagine that's exactly what they did that's how these things get written Okay. And they have to think about it in this kind of detail. So they wouldn't have been playing. David, your, your grand plays uh, bridge. What's that like? Uh, no, no, wouldn't, no. Wouldn't no. work. Wouldn't work. And it's a, there's a big, there's a big sort of ethnic and cultural mix. Bridge, bridge is very much a an upper class game. You wouldn't get Mark, uh, Mark Wahlberg playing bridge. And also, it's quite complicated. <laughs> I don't think it's upper class. I think it no, has but there, there is the, the there's right. The, you, you immediately imagine a drawing room. Yeah, and a, and a sort of green in, table in colonial it. India. Yes, playing bridge and drinking gin. I can imagine. That sounds good. Let's I can that. imagine that they could have been playing Go. I was about to say because that's a really say. simple game. Yeah, but it's also quite complicated. Yeah, because that's because computers can't play Go. Computers can easily beat you at chess. You can easily beat a computer at Go. I've tried it. Because they own all the computers. Yep. Okay. Because uh, the, um, the the rules of the game are very simple, but it requires just the way it works. The computer can't figure out because it, it's it, it's on so many points at once. I can't, I can't even remember how to play the bloody thing. But the it's, point, it's like checkers, right? It's, it's like checkers. It's a slightly more complicated version of that. But or it's, it's like what's between um, drafts and connect four a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you realise we're just now discussing the rules of yeah, the game. That's what a podcast is. Right, okay. I know I, I do know how to play Go. I can just about remember. But the point is that computers have real trouble working out how to do moves and how okay. to sort of think ahead. Whereas with chess, it's so much more structured and it's so much more about stages and consequences. And, yeah. the, and the rules are so rigid. Whereas with Go, you can just put a thing anywhere on the board. Combinatorial explosion. That's the, that's the well, way. if you say so. That's the, I, remember, I remember doing that in A-level. No, not A-level, I didn't do A-levels. Whatever I did... You didn't do A-levels? No. I grew up in Scotland. We don't do A-levels. You're from Scotland? Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I did computing. Oh, right. So, is it back, baccalaureate? No. Oh, OK. No. Well... Hires. Hires. Oh, hires. Hires and advanced hires. You can't even remember. Blimey. Well, I didn't say I was a great student. <laughs> just like well, the PhD indicates that you probably were. Well... <laughs> <laughs> or it's a damning indictment of the, uh, of the University of Glasgow. <laughs> anyway, um, in terms of the film, yeah, we could have had to go. We could have, but, but we could have had my job. That's too gambling. Or I don't think. Yeah. Well, they could have. They could have been like playing for matches. They could have had like a say. Like they could have had someone saying no gambling for money allowed or something like that. And you could have had because I mean there is a lot of. There's a lot of humour in the film that isn't connected to the overall material. There's a lot of slapstick. And I think a lot of it's very well staged. Like people running through sprinklers and... Oh, no, I did like that. Jude being repeatedly punched in the face. Uh, Which is always a good laugh. I did like that. I I mean, actually, I do think quite... I I do think that idea of considering things like the the little elements like the game is, is... can be important. This is a bit of a digression, but, for instance, in Casino Royale... In so the, in the film they're playing poker and in the book they're playing baccarat yes and that is the reason why it makes sense for Bond to be the, the guy because in the film he's the new he's a new double O agent right untested they're not sure whether he should be allowed to do anything 
although you know he's quite old and anyway that's a, that's irrelevant okay yeah, but he's, he's the new guy right and he's going off to play this exclusive poker thing but he's not like the best poker person right whereas it, make, whereas it makes much more sense to have this really weird exclusive game which is a game that people don't really play and then if Bond happens to be the guy in MI6 that plays that game he's their best shot at getting in rather than have some other random person learn it whereas poker is is much more popular and people gamble and play all the time so it's got so people understand what's going on but it's not a weird card game no but they do say I remember that um, Bond is the best poker player in MI6 oh do they right they, they do specifically say that ok this is a little get out because say oh yeah there is a reason why we're sending it but poker is also a very psychological game because it's not yeah, just it's not, because as I say it's, you're, not, you're, not, you're not playing your hand of cards you're playing the guy sitting opposite you and you're convincing them that your cards are better than his no matter what yours are and that's how you win poker alright ok <laughs> I mean I don't play poker so I, you I, get cards and you say poker and then you win I think you say poker face I think that's the, the expression and then oh, you punch right. them in the face you just poke you put them in the face with a poker no 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 that's a completely different etymology oh right that's certainly in Shimon de Fer because you use a steel rail okay anyway <laughs> but the, my, my point was okay sometimes these things, these random things can be important well done right yeah this is yeah. <laughs> we're making real progress it's because I don't want to talk about the film itself I'm going to I'm not going to let time for it right okay okay let's, let's, let's go through your notes what else do you have well, much of it unfortunately is um, just plot because I haven't been through this in advance which I should have been so the detectives go in and uh, they meet Brad and Dawn the Naomi Watts character at home and they have uh, their discussion uh, sort of opens Dawn's thinking and we get the impression that she's maybe a bit of a dim bulb uh, yeah, well, well, she's, or, or I can't remember which character says, but they sort of pluck her from obscurity. She's now the face of this this uh, massive chain, mm. um, and she has to. And again, with the adverts that you see her doing, they're very, they're very cheesy, and they're really, they're very, really horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's oh, say, can you see the bargains? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but is... again, again, I, I also I thought. They're not funny and different enough in look compared to the compared to the film itself for them to stand out as. You feel that there should be some contrast between the way we see Huckabees and also that whole the, with the offices and all of that side compared to, say, the the Open Spaces Coalition or the Detective Agency. Yeah, yeah, I think right. I mean, actually, I mean, maybe I'm now doubting myself. Maybe that's too simplistic a way of or that's spoon feeding the audience too much but I do think it makes for more film it's, it's a visual medium right so I think if changes in aesthetics for different things make sense if you're to delineate them subtly rather than obviously like doing using different film stock in a, which in a noticeable way then that would be a contrast like it would be two contrasting worlds yeah but yeah, they, yeah but, because you don't they make do actually look exactly like the real world well, it depends what you're advertising. Okay, okay, but but in general, if you're yeah, advertising soap powder, you don't have a thing where it just looks like reality around you. The colours are more vibrant. The, it it looks different. Well, they are kind of more vibrant. 
and the, and the commercials that we see because we only see a couple of the commercials we mainly see them being filmed yeah but you see them playing in the background yeah and they are kind of only, only by virtue of, of they take place in a sort of a white space with slightly brighter costumes it's, it's, and then they have the, like, the, the graphics appearing on the screen everything of okay these sort of things you know, reduced this week that kind of thing but then um, after she, after she's been through a kind of of thinking about things Dawn has basically a breakdown happens very quickly yeah well it's just a just a real shift and she uh, starts making commercials dressed as uh, an Amish milkmaid yeah what is she eating by the way she gets something up is it chocolate around her mouth is it chocolate I think so coal dust or something she's not going to be eating coal I don't know maybe she's not gone completely crazy no but it does happen very quickly and and she has a bit of a, a freak out, if you like, uh, in the offices, and it's all. I, I, I really love that bit. It's, I think Naomi Watts is great, but I just. It's a change to see her in something that's not grim and miserable. Like uh, 21 Grams and The Impossible and Mulholland mm. Drive, which is weird and frightening. Has she been in any other comedies? I imagine she probably has, but the fact that we can't think of any <laughs> indicates they might not have been that memorable. But here she's playing this very sort of, generally very sort of bright, peppy, cheerful person who's very friendly with strangers. And yeah. it's just it's very likeable. Yeah. But then she goes through this break, and just the, the adverts that she shoots afterwards, after she's sort of snapped, of you know, slouching around and wiping all the clothes on the floor yeah. and she does do that that bit which is apparently sort of figured out on the day of the contrast of what it's like to be famous of you know you, you want people to look at you but you don't want people to look at you yeah which I think is it, it boils down that argument I think very neatly yeah okay yeah I would disagree there with Albert and Tommy having uh, decided that the the whole interconnectedness concept is a bit too it doesn't really make sense for them yeah they end up falling in with a former student of the detectives who's played by Isabelle Huppert and who preaches nihilism and the emptiness of life yeah but they do figure out a way to become more centred in that world which is to hit each other in the face of the space hopper yeah again just absorbed okay, but, but you understand why that I mean th- that works because it's in that, in that shock of yeah that it sort of gives you a moment of being disconnected from the world around you and just just existing yeah okay yeah <laughs> and, and so then yeah it's, it's I mean it's a good character so in terms of the story it makes sense and it's an interesting idea I suppose but just the film itself the film's exploration of it just it just grates oh, on me yeah a very negative appetite I know I just, it's bloody miserable <laughs> <laughs> I did like the um, the recurring vision of jet skis yeah I guess so because that's for, for Albert that's a, that's a symbol of Brad's um, the kind of lifestyle that he has yeah of luxury and 
well not luxury but sort of just great comfort and riding around on this jet ski with his beautiful girlfriend and that, that really ang- angers him yeah I think and, you have to be I would say I'm, I am fundamentally different from a person that would own a jet ski I think jet skis might be great fun I have the original one I think they might be great to ride one I would quite like to ride one I think that'd be great fun but I think that I can I can comfortably say that I will live my entire life without owning a jet ski I'm just not that kind of person okay I think the kind of person that I think that's I think that's quite a good um, symbol not a symbol because it's an actual object itself analogy because the jet ski is a symbol of well I say it is a symbol a jet ski is representative of everything that he's jealous of about Brad yeah yeah, which no, is why good. he ends up setting fire to them. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I quite like that. I did. I have a I, the, the thing that was quite funny about saying, "Well, I said, oh, you brought all my stuff." He said, "Well, no, no." I said, "I said, under the jet ski," and then spread to the rest of the house. And then thought <laughs> that was quite funny. Um, but it just shows that by that point, he's just so totally centred on that on what yeah. he describes as the manure of human drama that he isn't even thinking about anything else. So it never even occurred to him. Oh yeah, if I set fire to this part of the house, the rest of the house will catch fire. Because it's, he's just so he's sure, so sure. focused in that, and then Brad gets home and realizes that his house is burning down, <laughs> and he's uh, he's a mess. He's crying, and yeah. Isabel Huppert's character takes a photo of him, and he screams. Nobody sees that picture, and so that's the moment where it, says that it all collapses for him yeah. because that that image of him crying is the thing that he can't let other people see he can't show other people that he has weakness in that way yeah it's I mean and then that's that's when Albert sees himself in Brad because he he understands that Brad too has so much to lose yeah sure no I mean it's I as I say I quite like I quite like Jude Law in this and I think he, I, I quite like the Brad character it's, it's an odd one it's an odd one because the introduction is for Albert with the idea that he is the protagonist and then it brings in these people that have sort of equal billing in some sense or equal amount of screen time it just feels a little odd it sort of all swirls around which again I suppose possibly deliberate based on the sort of philosophies it's uh, talking about but yeah I just thought it was a little bit odd where you were spending much more time with Brad in certain bits I think oh is he the not that not that every film is a hero as such nothing like that I need a protagonist in some form yeah. and you can you can have the, the, that role shared by several characters depending on your format Yeah, The Warriors is a great one because that's a film with a group of protagonists yes ok fair enough but um, certainly at the beginning Albert is our viewpoint character he's our yeah. entry because they, we see alright he's an environmental activist ok that's something we understand and he's, he's these things are happening to him and he goes to people to, who are going to find out why Yeah, and he has the, everything explained to him so that's our way in but I think once once he's settled with that, then we find out other things about him. We find out that he's actually been dishonest, and that there are other characters as well. And it's sort of once we've settled in the world, then it assumes we're okay. We can accept a bit more, and we can accept differences and changes. Sure. So I think it's quite well structured in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shania Twain does finally appear. Yes. At the end of the movie, and basically she 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 has a good. She encounters Brad and Albert as they're finally just having it out and having a fight. Yeah. And she yells at Brad for telling lies about her because she doesn't like Tina Mayo anyway, which is what she asked for in the story. 
So even that, for Brad, is found on a complete lie. Yeah. Again, just wasn't funny enough to justify it. I just it didn't provide that that kind of like relief. It wasn't abs- absurd enough that she turned up. It was. Uh, I said, did you expect? Because you may have remembered from the first time you saw it that she was in it. Yeah. Assuming you were still awake. Yeah, I think we finished it. Yeah, but, but I, I, I just it's, 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 a, it's the contrast in part because you wouldn't expect Shania Twain to appear in anything like this. No, but that but that's the thing. You have to have that that you have to have a sort of cartoonish element there, or a sort of she is very very different from from everything. So she seems like an alien, essentially, you know, popping into this world. Uh, but she doesn't. She just seems to. It just seems to all fit in, um, and so it comes off as quite boring. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what I mean is, it's if the story was about like the Pope was doing something, and then you have the Pope turn up, and again, it's a sort of an aesthetic thing. He would he would stand out as just being this Pope, the the Pope. He's he's the Pope. There's there's only one of them, you know. And and their little world that they live in is sort of sort of opened up a little bit by the by the entry of this, in some sense, otherworldly kind of being. That comes in and shouts at Brad and then leaves and leaves them back in their little world. Whereas the Shania Twain one was just a little bit too much. It wasn't it wasn't different enough. Right. I'm not I'm not describing it very well. I'm trying to I'm trying to avoid using, you know, aesthetic again, but but just the idea that you feel like it should be more of a intrusion into the world of yes, the story. Yes, because where where is this film set? It's Los Angeles, but it doesn't really matter, right? It's an American city. Uh, no, no, I, don't think it's I mean, apart from terrible traffic, uh, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's so, a sort of suburban-urban yes mix, right? It, you know, I Heart Huckabees is opening dozens of stores, or Huckabees is opening dozens of stores. It doesn't really matter. It's, some, it's somewhere in America where they have an urban environment which is encroaching on on, on green space, on green space. So you don't really need to know where it is particularly. So, Shania Twain being this sort of Hollywood, not Hollywood too. Nashville. Na- okay, but, okay, she's a singer. Okay, but you can't, you're not going to say Nashville glamour, are you? Well, maybe. I don't well, know. you could. Okay, but it's a but it's a different a different world, a different right, kind of reality. Different, yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. That has to sort of intrude in some way and then leave to leave those characters back in their own little world. And that is technically what happens. It just there's not enough of a, a difference. I don't think. Right. Was it was it was it just me or was the also was the were all the lines like ADR'd were they I, I don't I don't think I saw like I don't think what she was saying in her I mean I was drifting off of this but I've got to admit but but I, I don't I think her lines were recorded after there may have been some ADR work yeah I, well that that would be normal anyway but I think her last line her departing line is post recorded right okay Dawn gets caught in the fire. As you say, there she's lying on the kitchen floor with smoke inhalation. Yeah. But Tommy turns up because the uh, the fire engine's caught in traffic. Yeah. Don't they have emergency lanes? Is that not? Well, you know what Los Angeles is like. I don't, as it turns out. But uh, but all the all the cultural things I've gleaned suggest that it's a traffic-filled nightmare world. Well. Uh, the, the fire engine has got caught in traffic but Tommy gets there on his bike yes. and, he, and he rescues her and but, but he doesn't but he doesn't rescue her that's the thing he rescues her soul 
All right, okay. Okay. <laughs> One point to you. Well done. So what have you written in your notes? What have I written in my notes? I've written, like, just random... Um, again, I kept thinking... I kept thinking of ways... Oh, Wes Anderson would have done this with a... Just a, like a, just a lighter touch or a more comedic touch. Things like... Um, Wes Anderson would have made it far more formal. Yeah, but the formality of it would have been... Would have been funny. I, I think part of the reason I think it works is that you have this these complicated philosophical ideas in a relatively natural environment, a naturalistic environment. Whereas with Wes Anderson, you've got crazy ideas in a crazy environment, and I think it makes it too different. Okay, all right. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Wes Anderson does divide some people. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit up and down on these movies. I really love The Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. But that was... It had so much that you could sort of connect with in reality but it's shown very formally so it has like it's a, it's a murder mystery it's kind of a mistaken identity story it's a war story but in this fixed world where everything's at right angles okay uh, whereas here this is you know there, there aren't many other films that use the philosophies of infinity as a starting point for a zany comedy yeah I guess this is a bit more like Rushmore in that Rushmore doesn't have because it didn't have the money it doesn't have that extra layer of production design and all that no. sort of stuff to set it apart I mean it has elements of that but it, it, but they can't do it for the whole film so no. it's, it, it, it is a more sort of uh, looser grounded or looser I suppose maybe David Russell thought maybe that's maybe that's where he was going to go and then the reception to this suggested that nah, maybe you should make a film about a boxer well, this came out the same year as The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Okay, okay, so very stylized. I think I think that's a brilliant film. So do I. And and again, people speak unrealistically in it, and they they even act unrealistically. But because it is that whole complete world, you 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 enter in it for the two hours of the film, and then that's that done. Whereas this. Again, because it's a, it's not grounded, but it's but because it is looser, as you say, and, and just a little bit less processed, I suppose. It just did. Maybe I've been spoiled by things like Wes Anderson or Gondry or even Spike Jones, I guess. Um, Who was in Three Kings? Spike Jones was in Three Kings. Yes, he's he's the third one. Well, no, he's the fourth one actually, because the third one's Ice Cube, isn't he? Oh man. See, I, would, I, I haven't seen that in a long, long time. I'll go back and watch Three Kings. I think I don't want to watch this again. <laughs> but, but, sorry, the, the reason I brought up Wes Anderson is because there were like little touches like that, like the, the extreme close-up, the central-framed extreme close-up of the listening mic that they put in his office. That seemed to me like a very Wes Anderson-esque just shot. Yes. You see uh, Lily Tomlin put it down, and then there's just that framing right. of it. And I thought, well, okay, it's going to have more of this, but it, it didn't really, it didn't really follow through on that sort of thing. Right. I mean, I guess part of that is they're, they're trying to show you what that is. It doesn't read like a, a, a proper scene if you just see Lily Tomlin putting something down. You can glean from it later on that it was a microphone, but so I, I guess that shot is really to let the audience know what's going on. Um, but I just thought, yeah, it didn't. 
Yeah, it's just what I'm, what I'm trying to say without without uh, I, I can't really think of how to describe it without just invoking sort of onomatopoeia and things like that. It, like it just didn't zip. It just wasn't. It, just, it didn't have the lightness of touch. It didn't have the uh, I guess the, the the quickness that I think was necessary to turn it to an actually funny film. Right. There were yeah, the, the, there were there were a few offbeat kind of slightly amusing moments, but it just it wasn't funny. Funny, a lot of it. Did you laugh or or, or did you just go? Hmm. Did you sort of smile in recognition of something being done? I think I did laugh. Okay. Um, the line about the fire spreading to the house. I'm pretty sure I laughed at that. Okay, that's quite amusing. That's, that's pretty funny it's, because it, it, it's it's illustrative of, of more than that but it's also saying yeah I, I didn't mean to set fire to your house but I did yeah okay <laughs> there is a lot of dialogue that has given me pause like um, why do people only ask deep questions when something bad happens yeah that's a, I mean that's a good thing to to, to tell <laughs> that's that's a, but yeah. it's an idea worth pondering perhaps or yeah. you know, well, yeah, maybe I should ask myself deep questions anyway yeah, well, if, if nothing else, if it prompts people to read philosophy and how do we think about things, that'd, that'd be good. Well, it's, it's, it's made me do that. Well, that's good. So on those terms, would you say the film is successful? On those terms, the film is successful. Okay, we're going to just cut that bit out and just have that, and that's, that's your verdict on the movie. No. no. <laughs> I win! <laughs> you get to buy me lunch now. <laughs> hey, you know what? I... You know, if everything's connected, it'd be kind of interesting to trace the, the sort of the ripple effects of uh, people watching a film like this and then maybe having a little think about things and then coming to some realization. But to be honest, you might be able to say that about literally everything. Mm. I mean, by, by definition of, of its philosophy. I mean, one thing that might sound a bit odd is that having sort of watched this film and given a thought about it, I'm not really afraid of death. Thanks to this film? Yeah, but I would say so. Well, that's quite a... Because thinking about um, the, the interconnectedness... They eventually come to the conclusion that the interconnectedness grows out of the, the human drama element. Right. And that we are all interconnected to each other as much through our interactions with others as we are in more scientific terms, in, part- in particular terms. Right, okay. So, on that level, every part of your body will end up, end up becoming something else. Correct? Uh, well, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. And everything you do in life involving interacting with other people will have an effect on their behaviour. Sure. So, that will show that you have had an effect on the world around you, even if it's only to slightly alter decisions made by others and that will in itself create a ripple effect okay so therefore you don't need to go through life worrying that you've never achieved anything because you will have and that's a big concern of mine and therefore I'm not really worried about death I'm worried about you know being slowly run over by a steamroller not that I mean not that's something that that's, that's, that's the way you're going it's not something that keeps me up at night but I think well I don't want to well, it's really no, horrible. But no, the, the process of dying is not the same as being dead. Yes, as, as 
ceasing yeah. to live. But yeah. it, it, it really doesn't bother me. Well, I wouldn't worry about it. You'd be dead. Yeah, but I don't, <laughs> I don't worry about. Oh, I've, I've never achieved anything in my life. Because well, I've done a few things. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I understand. People, yeah, people have. I've had an people do have concerns about a legacy as such. And yes. For some people, it's kids, and for some people, it's a company with a name on it or whatever. Um, so yeah, yeah, of course you kind of affect things. And if you want, if you if you do want to kind of delve into the science of it, of, of uh, you know one thing affecting the other, or start talking about things like quantum entanglement uh, if you really want although although well should we I I mean although I I would definitely is this this an area that you have much knowledge of no no I would would not no I would not claim to be to be anything more than passingly familiar with with quantum theory but the the issue I think in terms of I guess narrative is that you're not yeah of course okay you affect people around you you don't even need to think about quantum effects or anything like that right you could just think about you know you say hello to your postman that he has a slightly nicer day he puts some more money in the charity box someone gets a meal that they wouldn't have had otherwise okay so um, you don't I don't think you need to go into particle physics or anything like that really so, so it's an interesting idea but you don't you don't get to then step back and observe the two different states what if I did this what if I didn't do this you're locked into your reality, right? Now you can t- now you could start to then say, okay, right, let's talk about uh, 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 sort of branching universities and, and uh, uh, whereby making a decision, uh, even on the quantum level, will split the universe into, or separate into another universe where the other effect happened. Or if there's a range of effects, there's one for each, um, and so they make this many worlds idea where there is a there is a world where you are. The king of the world, uh, and there's, there's another one where there are an infinity of worlds where you are the, the king of worlds, and there's an infinity of worlds where you fell over and died the instant you said hello to your postman or whatever. Yeah. Okay, there's one where hats wear people. Where hats wear people. There's. I mean, I, I sometimes say this when I'm when I'm talking to people. I'm doing a lecture. I say, well, you know, we can we can think about a world where everything is exactly the same, except everybody has green hair, and that's. You know, there's an infinity of universes where that might be might be the case, uh, but you don't get to observe those no. yourself. So, as a philosophy, it's interesting and even comforting. But so because that this film can lead you to consider these possibilities and have a perhaps a wider understanding of existence or one's own existence. Yeah. Would you say that therefore it has value? It has value if it's reaching people that would not. Well, it depends whether you think that 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 is a good outcome for people. Absolutely. Right. Okay. 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 Let's assume it is. Right. Then, if this film is reaching people and bringing them to that realization, setting them on that path, and they would not have otherwise been on it, and it is a good thing for them to be on it. Mm-hmm. Then yes, it's doing it's doing some good. It's done me good. Okay, well that well okay, that, I'm sure. That's why I mean. One of you should write to David Russell and just you know, yeah. let him know about it. Yeah, his films these days aren't very good. I don't want to encourage him. No, but he might go back. And be That's like, true. Well, he might go back and say, "I was onto something with I heard how he was because I mean a lot of it, and he grew out of his own his interest in this subject. Okay, so it's it's not as if he pulls off the shelf. No, okay. Well. I, I, 
I mean, a, a lot of a lot of people they 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 they, they write about what they know, right? Yeah, it's a, it's the probably the best way to get something. Absolutely, true. yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so in that sense, we're going to say that I have agrees a success. Success. I I knew you'd say that. Okay. All right. I still would advise more people I to just read some philosophy I, I or do a physics degree. I can't conceive. I, I can't conceive of a universe where you wouldn't have enjoyed it. You can't conceive of a universe. <laughs> well, I think maybe you haven't understood the uh, quantum uh, theory then. And so you should go and read a book about quantum mechanics. And so should I, because it's been so long since I did any of that sort of stuff. Well, I did. I did study for a science degree. Okay, that was actually mathematics degree. Oh, even better. So there was better. There was an absence of real world phenomena, apart from the one I did of uh, German. All right. Okay. I had, I had to do a presentation about Oktoberfest. And there is a and there is a world in which instead of studying German, you continued to, to do maths. No, well, no. It was a, it was an option in your final year that you could do yeah. a module of a, a, a subject outside the course. Okay. But I could have done. I there are done universities of which you did not choose that, and you just thought, "I'm fine with the maths. I'll just keep doing maths." The maths was really, The maths was really hard, and there was a, there's a reason I don't have letters after my name. <laughs> but but there are universities in which you do. Yeah, but I can't observe them. No, that's true. But they do exist. Well, do they? If they are completely unobservable. Ah, so it's oh, it's like the tree falling in the forest. If you can't observe it, do you know that it's there? Well, so see, this is this is right, guys. Everybody do quantum mechanics, and everybody read some philosophy. Everyone read quantum mechanics beginner's guide. Dummy's like guide a, like, a dummy, like a dummy's yeah. guide. Yeah, I would recommend it. I think I actually bought a book on that for my dad because uh, no, it was fractals. Okay, not the same thing. <laughs> not the same thing. Not the same. No, they're not. But it's it's sort of thinking about sort of the complex mathematical terms that actually connect with the real world I, okay I mean, I mean this might be going off topic somewhat but I, do, but I do think there's certainly I mean there's certainly a lot to be said about I think I think for a lot of people because I, I did maths right and so uh, or part of my degree was maths okay and I enjoyed it at school and I was good at it at school but the problem I think for a lot of people not many people take it on not many people pursue maths uh, and so there's a there's a uh, there are not enough people doing mathematical degree or STEM subjects. No, I've heard yeah. that. Yeah. So even though more and more people are doing it, there's a widening gap because we need more and more. So actually, we, as a percentage of the workforce, it's it's going down compared to what we need, right? And I think one of the problems that people have is that for the vast majority of school, what you do are sums. You do basic. Calculations, doing arithmetic, arithmetic, bit of algebra, bit of calculus towards the end, and I'm not saying those things aren't useful. They absolutely are, but they are very dull for lots of people because you are essentially learning how to process something so that you get the right answer. And it's training so that when you do something more uh, less clear cut uh, and something where you're doing more thinking, essentially, that that you have to just have that in your back pocket of I know how to calculate that expression so that that will take me on to the next thing and so a lot of people are not going to do mathematics at university because they think I've not done four years of sums or more calculations which is by the time you get to well certainly for me I would say I mean it started in first year but 
properly into it by second year university, you're doing, you might have one or two modules where you have to plow through differential equations, right? I never found that particularly interesting, right? Um, so there's still some of that aspect to it, but when you do things like group theory or ring theory or anything like that, you just you need to have those, that basic toolkit so that you can do more fun things. I mean, the mathematics I did at university, most of it was really good fun because you sit down and you have a weird problem and you have to sort of assault it with lots of different techniques to, to try and solve that issue. Um, and you're not doing sums very often, but at school you spend your time doing sums. Mathematics is sums, calculations, uh, basically. And that's why I think it's only something like is it seven percent or something moving to STEM? I shouldn't know that. And then it's something like one percent take maths on uh, to to university. Only level. one other person from my year at my school does maths at university. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think I was the only one that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I, sure. went, I went to a fancy school as well, so it's not as if everyone was there. I think only one person didn't go to university from my year. Yeah, we had a quite high percentage number of people that went to university. But again, it's not it's not necessarily to do with uh, intelligence or um, being good at some aptitude. Uh, there is there is some aptitude, but in, in the sense that I could not go into German, I don't have the aptitude for language learning. Right. I could you could maybe drag me through a you know degree if I really studied. So I'm not. I'm not suggesting that people should go for something. That, I mean, this becomes a much wider discussion, right? I'm not. I'm not saying that people should uh, do things they hate because they think they're going to get a good job at the end of it or, or something. You know, I mean, that happens all the time. And they're always trying to get people into STEM that don't want to do STEM subjects because because they're saying, well, you know, there's 95 percent employment rate within six months. And I remember, I remember at, at school being taught that by, uh, being told that by visiting people that would come and say, "Why don't you come and work for Standard Life Insurance? Uh, what you need to do is do a maths degree and then come and do an accountancy like, modules with us." And <laughs> when you tell this to fifteen and sixteen-year-olds, they can't think they would of anything do more boring. No, of course, uh, absolutely. And so when I, if I'm ever talking to pupils, um, not just on the street, as, as part of my job, <laughs> you know, hanging around, I always make head. sure to say, "I remember." adults telling me this what I'm about to tell you and I remember thinking I would I just don't want to be in this room with this person anymore like I don't want to hear this yeah so I, I that's how I preface it like I know I'm about to say something you don't want to hear just have a little think about it and do some reading around the subject you might find something that interests you because if you're saying you should do maths because you can go and work <laughs> you can maybe walk yeah. and you can make uh, mega bucks uh, I mean I'm sure that's an attractive idea in lots of ways for yeah. lots of people but there's a huge step between being a 15 year old being told you know you're about to you, do some you exams should, you should become an accountant you should become an accountant because people want to be rock stars and podcasters. movie stars and podcasters and <laughs> you know they want to fight crime and that's what I still want to do I have fought crime you have fought crime yeah caught a bag snatcher once no you have to dress up as a bat I was wearing a suit a bat suit no like a Certain trousers. Doesn't count, I don't think. Well, frightened him. No, I think he uh, he was probably let off just putting the police report, not dressed up. He just put in the joke. police report. No, the police put in the report. We oh, let him go. I didn't deal with the police. I was a vigilante. All right, he just killed him. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Threw him out of my airship. 
no that's that's fine that, that saves the whole thing that makes it acceptable yeah but I do see a point I mean uh, listener if uh, you're considering going to university consider science yeah because you might find something that you find really interesting and engaging yeah don't rule science out as boring because it's not no it absolutely isn't and, and no, more people should do it but if you're bored by the I mean maybe they don't do this anymore but if they do if they send people round to your school to deliver a lecture uh, about why you should be working for an insurance company don't work for and, them and no there's, I, I know people that work in insurance and do accountancy and things like that and they love it but they were not convinced by the people that came and talked to them. Oh, what I, I need to do, I need to become an account, a consultant where people that want to recruit, and I've decided that the way to do this is to go into schools early, which is lots of lots of people think that's, that's the route. I need to be a consultant where they deliver their pitch to me and I put myself back into the mind of 15-year-old Ed and go, that is so boring, I don't want to work for you ever again. Or, or I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to I, I'm not going to pursue this. And then, and I would just write them up notes saying, "This is boring. This guy is not good at presenting. Don't show me a graph with this on it. Don't tell me right show a graph. No, I know, but that's the, that's the thing. And, and you know, uh, you know, my job is in science communication. So part of my job is like, how do you get ideas across, and, and how do you communicate this this thing to either school kids, general public, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so many people, and that's why science communication has become this." don't want to say industry but it's a, it's a sort of sector now that is important because so many people are terrible at it it's like I've had just to talk to people that are not within their own, their own yeah. field and that includes uh, in particular you know kids that are, that are thinking of what they're going to be going to be doing I mean also the general public of course as well but the general public tend to just think well that's boring I'm not going to stay I'm not going to listen to this lecture or I won't go to another lecture you know when you have science lectures or whatever Whereas for kids, I think it's a little bit more important because it's because you're essentially if if you do something that's bad for them, that just shuts down that avenue for them for most of them because they will just go. I don't want to be I don't want to be involved in that sort of thing. I'm off to do rock and roll. It's very important that you should try and communicate new ideas as clearly and as engagingly as you can. Yes. Just like I Heart Huckabees did. Just like I Heart Huckabees, yeah. So to uh, to sum up, as we sort of ver- veered back onto the straight and narrow right. from that entirely worthwhile. It's question. all it's all connected. It is all, all it connected. Is all connected. My random chat about STEM subjects. How am I not myself? Yeah. Well, I I liked it. Um, I'm going to make you like it. No. Yeah. No. Um, Are you going to watch it again? Or or or. Okay, okay, that's hard well, to tell. Okay, but yeah. Are you going to watch it again within the next year? Well, no, not within the next year. But I don't watch really watch anything within a year of having seen it before. Okay, because it's it's still too fresh in my mind. I need to sort of let it settle. Okay, but um, yeah, that this. I mean, I, I watched my own copy, which I've had for at least five years. Okay, probably closer to ten. And yeah, that's going back on the shelf. Right. Um, okay. For an, another day, when I feel like expanding my. If you lent that to a friend and they didn't return it promptly. Would you be annoyed? Well, yeah, because it's mine. I see it because because I'm still stuck in the whole idea of f- physical things and physical property. Right. Okay. Uh, and I'm just saying really, it shouldn't matter. But if I lent it to a friend and then they move and they lost it by move. accident, yeah, 
I would expect them to replace it. But that's that's more what what. No, I was going to okay. If they went, I'm really sorry. I've, I've lost it. I'll buy a pint to make it up. Is that an acceptable substitute? No. No. Okay. I say no. Buy, buy me buy me a replacement copy. I don't mind if it's second hand. But we'll call it. We'll call it quits. Okay. And you could probably get a second hand copy for less than the cost of a pint of beer. Probably. So, so they've won. So the lesson yeah, so they're is. Trying to, they're trying to cheat me. The lesson is. Take your friends things, if they call you on it, replace it with cheaper goods. Thanks to Ed Bloomer for making the time to appear on this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, then feel free to contact me on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo. Or if you have any comments for me personally, try at j underscore j underscore phillips, with two L's. However, until next time, remember, it's not quality, it's quantity. Goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, edited by Martin Fenton, with music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Come and visit us at www.podnose.com. I'm in my tree. <laughs>